Thanks, Olivia. Um, gosh, it's good to be with you all again. And I was telling uh, my wife, Erin, last night, it's kind of weird to be preaching about getting towards the uh, crucifixion as we're also making our way towards Christmas. But the truth of... Uh, the truth of the work of Jesus, both in his life and in his death and in his resurrection, are timeless. And no matter when we encounter them, uh, it is good for us to remember and to press into that. I want to begin with a question for you to consider. And the question is this. When things get a little bit uncomfortable, when you feel a little bit threatened in life, what do you do? When things get a little bit uncomfortable... When you feel a little bit threatened, what do you do? Last week, uh, my wife and I were coming back from a football game, and we were waiting at a stoplight, and I heard a honk behind us, and uh, I couldn't do anything or go anywhere because I was at a, a red light. So even if it was intended for me, uh, I couldn't have done anything. But it wasn't intended for me. Apparently, there had been a little bit of a skirmish between two cars behind us, I don't know exactly what happened, but what uh, my wife and I witnessed was, as the two cars pulled up next to us, some yelling, uh, and, and then all of a sudden, a water, bo water bottle flung out the window at the car next to, um, next to us. In that moment, uh, if you've ever been uh, in one of those moments where there's a little bit of road rage that's going on, um, it's a little bit unsettling. You're not quite sure what's going to happen. Thankfully, the car at which the water bottle was thrown just rolled up their window and moved along. But I found myself wondering what had happened. Maybe the car had got cut off. Maybe the car had wanted to turn and wasn't able to. Maybe. Maybe they just were having a bad day and not really paying attention. But for whatever reason, the car next to us, one of the cars next to us, the driver in it felt threatened, felt uncomfortable. And in that moment, decided to take action. So my question for you again is, what do you do when you feel uncomfortable? I'm not talking about your road rage specifically. Although one of our family friends uh, just turned 16 and he showed me an air freshener that someone gave to him, which was of Jesus. And it had a little bubble, voice bubble that said, I see you. <laughs> I asked him if it was for him or for the drivers that would be around him. And he said, probably both. We're going to explore John chapter 18. I'm going to read it in just a moment. But I want us to hold on to this question as we explore this chapter together. The words will be here on the screen for you to follow along. John chapter 18, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had finished praying, he left with his disciples and he crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? 
Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish, Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. I want to focus on two characters in this story, the first being Peter. Before looking specifically at his role in this story, I want to give a little bit of context. And if, you, uh, if you've read through the Gospel of John, if you've been with us the past few weeks, um, you, you, you know, actually you'd have to go back to the spring to get the full um, story because we took a break in the summer to go through the Psalms, but we've been going through John for a while. But just to give you a bit of context before we talk and look specifically at Peter, what was happening during this time is that the disciples had just spent a beautiful evening with Jesus. I mean, a truly incredible, yeah, it's like, it's like a, a, an awesome retreat, all right? So they spent time with him. They, they ate. Jesus washed their feet. He comforted them. He promised them the Holy Spirit. He encouraged them. He challenged them to press into their calling as his disciples. Then he prayed this beautiful prayer for them, which is in John chapter 17, a beautiful prayer of unity a prayer for Jesus' disciples, both those gathered there and, and those of us today who call him our Lord and Savior. And then he led them on a hike, right? Isn't that a perfect retreat? You eat, you pray, you talk, and then you go on a hike. And in this instance, it was a night hike. Jesus gathered them together and he led them to a local garden. And Judas who the night before had been with them, but who had chosen during that dinner, he had chosen to betray Jesus and had left. And as he left, he gathered a group, a group that was intended to go to where Jesus was that night to confront him, to meet him, and to arrest him. 
And the group that Judas brought with him wasn't just some random group. John tells us that Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. Joanne Brandt in her commentary wrote this, the collusion of three parties, Rome, the Jewish authorities, and Judas, who was both the residents of evil and Jesus' own disciple, signify the three constituencies that will, one after the other, hand Jesus over. Who Judas brought with him was intentional. The political rulers of the day, the religious leaders of the day, and himself, there to meet Jesus, there to arrest Jesus. And here's, what I, here's where I want us to focus closely on Peter. See, Peter is there in the garden with Jesus, as are the other disciples. And we don't know exactly what the other disciples were doing. But we know that Peter, and as we read through the rest of the Gospels, we, we know that Peter was unafraid to step into hard conversations. He was unafraid to pronounce certain things about Jesus. Some of them good. You are the Messiah. Peter was the first to announce that. But also some of them not so great. Like, no, Jesus, you're not going to die causing Jesus to call Peter Satan. And so Peter is standing there with Jesus. He's face to face with this group that's not just some random group that he is looking into. No, he's facing three threats. The occupying political power who ruled who governed, who sought to make life challenging for Peter, for the Jewish people, for his friends, for his family. Religious leaders from Peter's own faith group, people who were more convinced that to live life following God meant to follow rules instead of to love first. And then Peter also saw Judas, his friend, with whom he had spent the previous three years, with whom he had shared significant moments, with whom he had developed a deep friendship. All three of these groups were facing Peter. And Peter's response to this threat, to this feeling of discomfort, was to fight. Literally, he grabbed his sword and he cut off the ear of Malchus. How great is it that Malchus' name is included? It's like poor Malchus. Poor Malchus, the only thing that he gets talked about is that his ear was cut off. It reminds me of, uh, if you're a baseball fan, you would know this reference, of the name Steve Bartman. Steve Bartman, um, when, before the Chicago Cubs had won a World Series, it had been just forever, and they felt like they were cursed. They were never going to win a World Series. They had a moment when uh, things were looking like it was going their way. A foul ball was hit into foul territory. Moises Alou, Chicago Cub left fielder, ran over to catch this foul ball right against the stands, and Steve Bartman reached over 
and touched the ball, making it impossible for Moises to catch the ball. And poor Steve Bartman. He has another life. He has a job. He has a family. He has friends. But the only thing really anyone knows about Steve Bartman is that in that moment, he ruined the chance for the Chicago Cubs to win the World Series. Poor Malchus, right? I mean, here he is just doing his job, and he is the one who receives the ball. In fact, he's just a servant, standing there, minding his own business, going with uh, the person who is his boss, and his ear gets cut off in this, uh, uh, in this action taken by Peter, who is seeking to fight in the face of the threat the threats that are in front of him. I'm going to uh, read another quote from Brandt, but uh, just as a side note, I'm going to pronounce a word in here that I've pronounced wrong my entire life. And this morning and last night as I was uh, finishing my preparations, I was like, I should probably make sure I know how to pronounce this word. And I was wrong. So a moment for you, perhaps you know it and you're like, duh, that's how it's been pronounced. But for me, I learned something new. This is from Brandt. This action of Peter to cut off, to fight to, uh, in the midst of this threat. She says, this seems like a, here's the word, quixotic. Did you know it's quixotic? I thought it was quixotic all my life until this moment. It's quixotic. This seems like a quixotic or a, a foolishly ideal act. If one supposes that Peter intends to rescue Jesus... I love how that starts. This, it seems like a foolish act if Peter is intending to rescue Jesus. Why? Because Peter, with his tiny little sword that's just big enough to cut off someone's ear, thinks that he would be able to take over this giant group of people who are there to arrest Jesus. But, Brandt continues, it makes better sense within a context that views death at the point of a sword as heroic and death on a cross as ignoble. This should say, Peter appears to be provoking a lethal conflict to protect Jesus' honor. See, Peter is standing there facing these threats and he, he's thinking in his head, okay, if these people want to kill Jesus, and I've already heard Jesus say that he's going to die a, a death that doesn't really strike me as very honorable. We're going to take care of business right now. I'm going to go down fighting. I'm going to give my life here with a sword. I'm going to cause a conflict here so that Jesus here dies in an honorable way versus being led shamefully to the cross to die weakly in front of everyone who would be watching. See, Peter's actions here of fighting are meant to be honoring of Jesus. But Jesus isn't interested in a fight. See, Peter is ticked off that this group of people are dishonoring Jesus, his leader, his Messiah, his friend. But it's not just about Jesus, it's also about Peter. Right? If, if I've given the last three years of my life to this man, it doesn't seem right to me 
for this man to just die a shameful death? What would that say about my own beliefs if I didn't stick up for him in this moment? And faced with that threat, both the physical threat that was in front of him, but also the threat that everything that he believed might be pointless, might be wrong, he fights. And I wonder if this is something in which you see yourself. Maybe you're the kind of person who chooses to wound with words, with actions, with thoughts. When you feel uncomfortable or you feel threatened, your go-to is to try to harm. Maybe it's others. Maybe it's yourself. When we come face to face with what makes us uncomfortable or threatened, we fight. We seek to wound. We seek to harm. But Jesus wasn't interested in that being the way of his followers. And Jesus isn't interested in that being the way that we would choose to press in to discomfort and threats. Okay, so maybe you're sitting there thinking like, ah, today I'm good. I'm not a fighter. That message was for somebody else. It's not for me. Praise God. Oh, but hold on, my friends. Because I want to fast forward just a few verses. Because after Jesus has been arrested and he's been led to the first of these three, uh, first of the trials that he'll undergo, in which he will be sentenced to death, we read that Peter and one of his disciples, presumably John, I love as John, uh, who most people think wrote the Gospel of John, he never talks about himself. He always calls himself the beloved disciple. Like, how full of yourself can you be, right? But it says, um, Peter and another disciple uh, follow after Jesus as as he's being led away after he's been arrested. And I I love to think about this in this way, all right? Um, Jesus has been arrested. Peter and John are following after him. Uh, Think about the kid on the playground who's causing problems. And after he's caused a little bit too many problems, he gets summoned to the principal's office. But his friends who weren't necessarily involved in the troublemaking, but they kind of like being associated with the tough guy. They follow along after him. They're like, let's see what's going to happen. And as he heads to the principal's office on his way, one of the friends who goes with him is the one that everyone likes. Like, you, you know these kids. It doesn't matter what they do. No matter what they do, everyone loves them. They can do no wrong. They can talk their way out of any problem they get into. So he doesn't feel any kind of threat. He's like, yeah, I'll go along. As soon as I get there, the principal may say, hey, were you involved? He's like, no, I'm just here to support my friend. The principal will be like, that's really nice of you. But the other one, the other one is a kid who can't talk his way out of anything. In fact, he's not so sure that people aren't also on the lookout for him. And as he realizes where they're headed, And he knows what it means. All of a sudden, he gets a little bit uncomfortable. And oh, lo and behold, there's the cafeteria. I feel hungry. And so he veers off at the last second to grab a snack before anyone can claim that he too 
was with the troublemaker. That's how I view this interaction with John and Peter as they're following Jesus, right? John, for whatever reason, has these relationships with the high priest in which he doesn't feel any problem entering into that space. But Peter, as he is following Jesus, as he's getting closer to that space in which he realizes there's going to be some consequence for what Jesus has done, he starts to change his mind. He starts to think better of following after this guy and he wants to make sure that he is not going to get looped in with whatever may happen. And we're not going to look here at Peter's denial. Scott's going to talk about that next week. But what I do want us to focus on is how Peter responds to this threat, to this moment of discomfort. In verse 18, it says, it was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Okay, so maybe you aren't a fighter, but what about pursuing comfort? See, in this moment, Peter, faced with that threat, faced with that discomfort, chose what all of us would choose on a cold night to be near the fire. Instead of stepping in to the midst of what was going to happen in that room, he stayed back and he found comfort. Maybe that better describes your own approach to the things that threaten you, the things that feel uncomfortable. Things get a little bit tense and you retreat into what feels good to the things that activate the pleasure center of your brain, and at least in the moment, seem to cost nothing. But our pursuit of comfort as a means of escaping any type of threat or uncomfortable situation is problematic. Because it's leading us away from the life into which Jesus is inviting us. It's leading us towards unfaithfulness. Maybe it's not your own comfort you you pursue, but the comfort of other people. You seek to make others happy, to ease their pain, to make life easier for them. But however you pursue comfort, it is in the end a way to escape that which is before you. Which is simply to say yes to Jesus each day. To follow him who gave everything that he had, who chose the path of sacrificial love so that we would know what it means, what it truly means to give our lives as followers of Christ. So do you choose to fight or do you choose comfort? Or maybe both describe how you face into those threats, how you face into areas of discomfort. Peter in this story demonstrated both. And in doing so, he missed opportunities to demonstrate his faithfulness. And here's where I want to change our focus from Peter to Jesus. Because Jesus stepped into that discomfort. He stepped into that threat when Peter couldn't. And through Jesus' actions, he provided a way for us. And it was simply obedience. It was simply trust. 
as they asked for Jesus of Nazareth, he simply proclaimed to them, I am he. As John writes it, I am he, Jesus said. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth. And he answered, I told you, I am he. Commentator Bruce Milne describes this scene in this way. Thus the forces of evil in that sinister confederacy, personal treason in the person of Judas, corrupt religion expressed by the temple police, political ruthlessness embodied in the Roman soldiery, and behind all, the malignant form of the prince of this world, all fall back before this meek monarch who offers himself up to their will. This scene speaks for itself because it so clearly demonstrates the power Jesus has while also showing the way that Jesus is going to use his power and invites us to live in the power offered to us. Jesus' own statement, I am he, causes everyone there to fall down and tremble, whether they believed in him or not. That's the power that he had. And then the second time they asked him, and he said in the same response, I am he. He used that same power for sacrifice. And it's in this second utterance when everyone there could have seen the power of Jesus used in such a way that would have caused them to leave him alone, to worship him, to follow him so that he could establish his throne. There in that moment, instead he gave himself up to them. And by doing so, he said, my power is going to be one that will resurrect me from the grave, that will overcome death not cause death. And that's the life that Jesus invites us into. What we're going to see with Peter over the next several weeks is that he utterly fails time and time again to be the person Jesus invites him to be. We see him in this story fighting we see him seeking comfort. We're going to see him denying Jesus up until the very point of Jesus' death. And arguably the most important moment of Peter's life, he failed. And yet we're, what we're going to find at the end of John is that Jesus comes to him. And in their interaction Peter realizes that his failure in that moment does not disqualify him from life with God. My friends, this is the power of the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ because you and I too often are people who choose to fight, who choose comfort, who choose to seek our own ways of getting out of those areas, those situations, those relationships in which we feel uncomfortable or we feel Threatened. And Jesus is inviting us to step into those moments in trust and obedience, knowing that it's not our own ability, but Jesus' power 
that is going to transform our own lives and transform this world. There is nothing that will transform this world through your use of power and your use of comfort. It's not going to transform the world. Only life lived in and through Jesus will transform your life and will transform this world. And so the opportunity lies before us and and the band can come up for our last song together. The opportunity lies before us here in this moment. My prayer is that as we've studied this story that you would have, you would have been able to recall times when you have found yourself in moments where you have felt threatened or uncomfortable. Where you had the urge to fight, where you had the urge to seek comfort. And that as you see how Jesus responded in those moments. That you would hear him say to you, I am with you. That you would hear him say to you, I am he. And that as we seek to live our lives with God, as we face in the moments of discomfort, as we face in the moments in which we feel threatened, would we instead lean into the trust that God is at work? Would we instead be people who are obedient to what God is doing? Would we be people who say yes to Jesus?